Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York on Thursday, February 15th, 2024, I'm Gianna Volpe. Long Island renters face the worst housing cost burden anywhere in the state, even worse than renters in New York City. Jonathan LaMancha reporting on Newsday.com that more than half of the region's renters, 51.4%, more than half, are considered cost burdened, which the federal government defines as paying at least 30% of gross income toward housing costs, per a new report from New York State Comptroller Thomas DiNapoli. That compares with 48.6% of New York City renters and 49.9% of renters in the Mid-Hudson region, which includes Westchester County. Quote, this serves as a stark reminder of the need to relieve the housing cost burden for Long Islanders. That quote from Pilar Moya Mancera, executive director of the Green Lawn-based nonprofit Housing Help. Renters make up slightly less than one-fifth of Long Island households compared with two-thirds of New York City households. About a third of Long Island homeowners are considered cost-burdened by the federal standard, which includes mortgage payments, property taxes, insurance, and utilities. The report released yesterday shows renters earning the least tend to be the most likely to face a cost burden. Uh, that, that tracks, quote, for too many New Yorkers, finding and keeping an adequate and affordable place to live has become more and more difficult. Tanapoli said in a statement, adding rising costs are stretching household budgets and forcing trade-offs with other essentials like food and health care. The consequences of housing security insecurity are wide-ranging, and while low-income renters are the most cost-burdened, these financial pressures uh, pressures are increasingly felt by middle-class households. And quote, I know that's right. In other news, the Sag Harbor School District took what could be considered a radical step this school year, becoming the first district in the county to ban access to cell phones while school is in session. Kaylin Riley reporting on 27East.com that in March 2023, the district invited Andrew Richards, a representative from the company Yonder, to offer a presentation about the product his company offers at a Board of Education meeting. Yonder sells a patented cell phone pouch that locks when it's closed. The magnetic lock can only be unlocked by a small handheld circular device similar to the mechanism used to remove security tags from clothing sold in retail stores. Companies like Yonder have popped up in recent years to meet a demand for restricting access to cell phones at concerts, private parties, and other events, as well as in schools and workplaces. Sag Harbor administrators Teachers and parents expressed their support for the system, and it was implemented at the start of the current school year. Now, every day when they arrive, middle and high school students are required to place their phones in yonder pouches and have them locked under the guidance of staff to ensure they don't find creative workarounds like slipping a stick of deodorant or a dummy phone into the pouch in lieu of their real phone and then report back to a faculty member again at dismissal to have their pouches unlocked. Joe Bartolotto, who began his career as a high school art teacher in the Sag Harbor School District in 95, is one of many teachers in the school who say they've seen a night and day difference in the school day since the arrival of the Yonder Pouches. 
quote, it's reduced negative interactions with students by a ton. It's tremendous. Now you're not arguing with kids who are trying to post something on Snapchat or calling home because they forgot their cleats for a game. It's been really great, end quote. In other news, the engineering firm overseeing the designs of the new Montauk Playhouse swimming pool and aquatic center has recommended that East Hampton Town and the Montauk Playhouse Community Center Foundation tackle both the aquatic center and the planned second phase community cultural center at the same time. Michael Wright reporting on 27East.com that bids uh, the town and the project managers uh, Island Structures Engineering opened in December, put the total cost at tackling both phases of the project at once at $13.93 million. The bulk of that cost is for the construction of the aquatic center, which will have two swimming pools, one 25-yard four-lane lap pool and a smaller, shallower recreational pool for therapeutic classes and mothers with small babies, men's and women's changing areas, and locker rooms around the perimeter and a lounge area in the vaulted entryway that will be open to both the first and second floors. East Hampton Town Councilperson David List says, uh, said that the bidding process went very smoothly and the town is happy that the construction costs were within the anticipated ranges. Quote, we are confident that we'll be going ahead with these bids and see this project come to fruition. End quote. And finally, the Riverhead School District is raising the bar on its celebration of Black History Month this evening, reaching out to involve more of the community as it highlights a message of equality and inclusiveness. Craig Schneider reporting on Newsday.com that tonight's event, which runs from 6 to 7.30 at the Riverhead High School Auditorium, not only includes art, food, and performances by local students, but also dances by the youth and adult ministries of First Baptist Church in Riverhead and the Butterfly Effect Project, a local nonprofit working to empower girls. Uh, This is the district's 15th annual celebration of Black History Month. It looks like Emily Sands, District Director of Special Programs and Community Outreach with BEP, said the district... uh, Oh, 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 it could be. Yes. Uh, District changed from having a single administrator orchestrate it to a broader uh, approach that included the district's diversity, equity and inclusion committee, as well as students, staff, parents and outside groups such as the Riverhead Anti-Bias Task Force Group, which is having their own event for Black History Month on the 28th. At the Suffolk Theater, Uh, Sands emphasized the celebration tonight takes into account that 80% of Riverhead School District's parents speak Spanish and the desire to include more of them. Reading the weather in Sag Harbor in honor of Rue Matheson, joining us to talk about her brand new memoir, Castles and Ruins, looking like Increasing clouds today with a high near 37 degrees. Wind chill between 20 and 30. North wind, northwest wind, 7 to 14 miles per hour. Becoming southwest in the afternoon tonight. Scattered snow, snow showers mixing with rain after 10 p.m. Then gradually ending. Cloudy otherwise then gradually clearing towards daybreak. 
with the temperature rising to around 39 by midnight. Wind chill values between 25 and 30 degrees, so definitely be careful driving tonight. Breezy with a south wind, 7 to 12 miles per hour becoming west, 16 to 21 miles per hour after midnight, gusting as high as 36. Definitely, definitely be careful driving if you are driving tonight. Right now it's 28 degrees, and in honor of Rue, we've got the Castles and Ruins edition of the heart, slightly stupid, the Jimi Hendrix experience, Chris Isaac, and then uh, Donna Vivino from the original Broadway cast recording of Les Miserables on deck. But first, Freya Ridings from her self-titled record of 2019. It's Castles on the WLIWFM Morning and Midnight Show. The Heart, recorded live from the heart of the East End, the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York.
that track, one I'd never heard before putting together this playlist for you, I wanted to follow up on an overshare I made a few days ago about getting my credit information or my debit information skimmed. And I wanted to, to follow up and just say that uh, the place where I strongly suspect it happened at Target. They have a great loss prevention team there and security. And I was able to connect with them and give a really good description of the person just in case, just so there's eyes. Strike down the one, sir. If there's a way we can help other folks not uh, experience what I did, that's all I really wanted. <laughs> and yeah, the gentleman was able to find him. And there was a happy ending. I was able to recover all my money. And when you're reaching for that sunshine, you gonna chop you down. So thank you to all those who helped. You're listening to WLIWFM. Be careful of your surroundings, be aware, and keep your cards in RFID protected wallets, bags, etc. You never know who's around you. In the morning time, you'll see me by the ocean floor. Going back to 67 for this next one. From 1998, music from all decades and genres. Interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of you. A listener supporter making a donation 
to WLIWFM.org. Down the street you can hear a scream, you're a disgrace As she slams the door in his drunken face And now he stands outside And all the neighbors start to gossip and drool He cries, oh girl, you must be mad What happened to the sweet love you and me had Against the door he leans and starts a scene And his tears fall and burn in garden green And so castles made of sand fall in the sea eventually. A little Indian brave who before he was ten played war games in the woods with his Indian friends. And he built a dream that when he grew up he would be a fearless warrior Indian chief. Many moons passed and more the dream grew stronger till tomorrow he would sing his first war song and fight his first battle and something went wrong surprise attack killed him in his sleep that night and so castles made of sand melts into the sea eventually Cause she was crippled for life But she couldn't speak a sound And she wished and prayed She could stop living So she decided to die She drew a wheelchair to the edge Of the shore and to her legs She smiled, you won't hear me no more But then a sight she never seen Made her jump and say Look, a golden winged ship Is passing my way And it really didn't have to stop It just kept on going And so castles Made of sand Slips into the sea Eventually Wondering, 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 wondering. 
Without a castle, leading us to the bottom of the nine o'clock hour, a little after midnight. If you're listening to the replay, uh, it means it's time for our thoughtful Thursday segment, this edition of The Heart, underwritten by William Riss Gallery. Uh, very excited, uh, honored to welcome Rue Matheson into the WLIWFM studio. Matheson, right? Yes, Matheson. I absolutely adored loved deeply your book castles to ruins it comes out in five days uh, mm-hmm. gorgeous intro from the description of the island to that of your own parents and and such a keen honest depiction of the place of their marriage mm-hmm. called the good times then quote very good more so for their impermanence yeah, yeah. A, a beautifully heartbreaking line and there's so many in this book yeah, yeah, I yeah. love so much oh thank you so much you I have really a, appreciate it you have a you have a passage that struck me so deeply as uh, I have a childhood memoir that's in the past sparked criticism mm-hmm. because it failed to take into account what you write halfway through the book quote it takes a long process of growing up to forgive one's parents the things they needed or even mm-hmm. understand the things they needed. Mm-hmm. Even today, for most women of ambition, the struggle between being mothers and fully realizing their potential is never ending. So one wants to be generous. However, children are not generous. Yes. And it's largely from a child's perspective that I remember her and that I write. Mm hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Having lost your mother, yes, when you did, yes. Do, I, I suppose we should start there. Yes. Well, uh, go ahead, Rue. Um, she she died when I was thirteen. Um, <clears throat> but before she died, she published a book called Anakin, which was written about a summer that we lived in Galway, on this little island in a lake called Loch Horeb that was across the waterway from a beautiful castle called Anakin, which was probably built at about 1100. And um, uh, so she left this beautiful book. And uh, so I always read this book over right. my life periodically. Right. And um, then when, when my son was six years old, I decided that it would be a great idea for my husband, Stephen Shaughnessy, and my son and myself to go back to Ireland and see whether the castle was 
still there. We didn't have really any map. I couldn't find it on Google. It was just kind of a lark. And uh, so we went off on this journey. And I had not been back to Ireland since I was seven years old and I lived there. And uh, it was it was like just the smells and the... And you were the, on an island across. <clears throat> so, mm-hmm. so you ultimately go to the castle and then look back across yes. to the island where you stayed. Well, yes. We, we lived on this island in Loch Carib um, this one summer. And that was the summer kind of before. It was 1965. And it was the summer before the whole 60s got started. Mm. It was sort of a pause for my parents. They had a, a they were they had troubles in their marriage. They were very intense. They were very ambitious. They were wonderfully interesting people. Right. And they were, I'd say, good parents in their own way. But and they had they had separate sort of lives. Yeah. And when your father was gone, you very much were, uh, you know, the other the yin to your mother's yang. Or, yeah. Or, or or I don't even know if that would be the correct yeah. way to put it because it was. It was more of like the yin to her yin. Like it was like, yeah, it was a a, a very deep connection. Mm -hmm. And things changed after, uh, you know, quite a bit after that. When she, as she started to move into Buddhism and and, Mm -hmm. uh, exploring Mm -hmm. a Zen lifestyle, you know, your mother took the term existential, existential crisis to new heights it was more preoccupation or meditation Mm -hmm. i loved the paragraph when we turned when we returned from ireland in 1965 she began looking in earnest i remember her Mm -hmm. drinking hot chocolate late into the night her desk covered with marked up books her typewriter clacking happily her thoughts deeply absorbed in the effort to articulate what she felt if only she could think hard enough write clearly enough she could abolish the obstacle, uh, the obstacles between herself and God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, she was she was very ambitious in this way, and um, it it was out of I think you know a restlessness. Um, they they had a kind of an interesting marriage in that they they both sort of were very they transformed the other one. It mm-hmm. was a very intense union. It was also a troubled like they union. they they talk like a twin souls. They were like ever, twins. Yes, have you they ever were. they they talk about this this thing called the twin souls mm-hmm. and or twin mm-hmm. flames? Yeah, and it's often intense and uh, you know in some ways it can be destructive or transformative. Well, it was both destructive and it was also very creative. Yes, um, and it was it was. Uh, also, they were very much of the time. So they were both born in 1927. So in the oh, late wow. yeah, so in the late 60s, they were um, not really of the generation that was going to Woodstock. Though they did go to Woodstock, they did go to Woodstock, um, but they were in a helicopter with Walter Cronkite over Woodstock. <laughs> so. That's a nice place to, yeah, to watch yeah, the show. Yeah, but it sort of actually works metaphorically for the way that they were in the 60s thing because they were operating on avant, an avant-garde, uh, sort of an intellectual, uh, very intense intellectual thing. So 
while the country was um, really having this ecstatic party and this revolution and all of these different ways of thinking, they were um, on an intellectual vanguard and they were very intensely on this search to sort of save the world. And, uh, you know, it was wonderful. It was very innocent. It was very idealistic. Um, the whole time was, was, you know, I was 10 years old in 1968. And that was a hell of a time to be 10 years old. Yeah. The memories are very vivid. Uh, the music was amazing. Um, but it was also unstable. It right. was also so, it was too wild in a yeah. way, too wild for a child. Um, and it took me a long time to sort of uh, discover the way that I really was, which was I'm much more reposeful. I don't need to have everything all at once and and. And perhaps, Just, perhaps know, in it, perhaps in uh, in answer to the way that yes, they actually were. yes, I think I sort of boomeranged back in an, in another direction, and I which sort is of something really appreciate small things and that I, tends to happen. Yeah, I see. Yeah. It's like it's either you go toward or maybe mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. other way. Mm-hmm. I want I want to talk a bit about what we were talking about before about your mother's uh, seeking the you know. Uh, what you call perfect illumination that you, mm-hmm. you stumbled upon, you prefer to stumble upon accidentally. And hers yeah. was more of a, a life quest Yeah, and, and the erasure of the ego and, and the self uh, certainly feeds into the next conversation. But I wanted to touch with you on the idea of invisibility, which you actually say later you talk mm-hmm. about uh, invisibility, but it's a theme that's central to you and your perspective, and and it certainly played into your mother's writings. I think of uh, passages having to do with women, specifically those she sees as being like her, being deemed lesser than men or women mm-hmm. who are perhaps at work, which then elevates them. Um, mm-hmm. I see the dismissal carry through to you in a memoir where it emotionally and even physically hungry little mm-hmm. girl mm-hmm. in yeah. the story is mostly ignored even by herself, meaning the woman writing this phenomenally uh, detailed meditation upon and about your mother, which feeds perfectly into its purpose, into this idea, as you mentioned early on of your lives being you and your mother's lives being dangerously intertwined. Can mm-hmm. can you expound upon both that line, particularly mm-hmm. regarding the connection between your growth and her death, if comfortable sharing about that, mm-hmm. uh, especially losing a parent early on and how mm-hmm. it can affect the cohesive formation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of, um, of the person? Well, you're never the same when you when you lose a parent young you you're at a fork in the road and the road has veered wildly in a different direction and at the time you have no idea what it is you have no idea um how profoundly you are going to be affected you you don't know how for me and for other people that i know who've who've lost a parent young it's almost like there's a ghost of yourself that would have been if that piece had not just Fallen out of your life. And your mom was always talking about you in reference to herself yeah. when you were young. So that must yeah. have been even more confusing. 
Well, it was, but also I realized, you know, it's so many-sided, which is what I hope to portray in the book. I realized that um, they were absolutely wonderful. It was, you know, I loved them both so much, but I also needed to get away because I don't think either one of them really understood what a child is and what you are developmentally at the age of seven, what you can handle. Right. And I was always thought of as just this wise child. And, and you, you talked about the time as well, yeah. where adults talk to children. Yes. And that was a very differently. Much of, yeah. It was very much of the time where, um, you know, every, everybody's perspective was valid and so you were brought into the conversation. It's so interesting because uh, don't you, don't you kind of see that? Don't you feel like that has returned a little bit with yes. all of the? I was just thinking with that. the comment yes. culture and the yeah. online discourse. Yes. I see this yeah. time as yeah. very much a return. It is of like the sixties and seventies. Um, it was more free form. It was less dictatorial. Yes. Back then. Okay. And also, we didn't have. Back then, we didn't have the tools that there's we certainly have now a lot of to regulate everything, yeah, to try right. and regulate everything. And it's my firm belief you're never going to regulate everything and that it's better to let things take their natural course and follow your own best impulse and trust that people will do that. I, I think Accidentally kinda... stumble upon perfect illumination. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, exactly. exactly. So I, I, I had to stop reading when you and your family were arriving at the castle. Mm -hmm. Because my toddler oh. was coming into the room to yeah. greet the morning and me. Uh, it, the book had been building toward this moment. But I don't imagine a, a, a climax as much as what I, I was just talking about. Mm -hmm. Perhaps some accidental stumble. Can you talk about what what revelations you might have had, if any? Um, when we once arrived you, at once the you class, were, when, yes. we, when we found it? Um it was, I mean, it was very moving. It was also, you know, somewhat ordinary. Um, I remember the, the, the visuals of it so well. I remember that it was wonderful to be there with my husband and my son and, and sort of bring things around, a term that I really don't like, but it was a sort of full circle thing. Not a completely full circle, but at least an almost full circle. Why is that? Why don't you like that term? Because I think things are a lot more ragged in life than 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 and people want to have portrayed shape. in a narrative. In a narrative, I think this is why I had a difficult time publishing this book. It was um, sort of a mashup of different genres. It was a memoir, but it was also a travelogue set in Ireland. And um, also, it, it's not a really hugely happy ending. It's more sort of a... A philosophical continuum, I would say. Yeah, I love um, that about it. You know, so it, it to me, I wanted it to be more closely aligned with the way things actually are, which is, um, you know, full healing in terms of uh, do we do any of us ever really recover from our childhoods? No, I don't think so, and it makes us who we are. Um, well, and, and I mean, you, you never could because it, what is a perfect person? Yeah, who, exactly. Who among us is. And um, 
I think that it's it's more sort of kind of open-ended, but I think when I went back to Ireland with my husband and my son when I was when I was older, um, and I and I sort of felt the atmosphere of it, and I felt the whole. I just was infused. I didn't even think I wanted to write a book. I didn't even have a book in my mind. I just thought, let me go back there and see what's see what that's like. Um, and the idea for the book just kind of came to me, and and just sort of all in a rush. And then I started with the journals and the. Um, her poetry and uh, then the bibliographies of both my parents were very help helpful. So I worked on it for quite a long time. But it was it was difficult to get it published in a way because it wasn't that usual narrative of uh, everything was all tied up neatly in a bow. <laughs> so so is that what was uh, sort of being asked of you in, in in the in the beginning? Did you have to like? Uh... You know, say this is my vision, and this is how I, I'd like. No, it to I be. just I didn't I didn't have uh, I didn't have a contract or anything with mm. a publisher. No, I, I I just followed. The story was burning in me when I went back there, and the other thing that I realized when I went back there is how how un unique it was. So you know, it it was out of the spectrum of what most people experienced because of these very intense writers that I grew up with. And I thought, you know, hey, I mean, I like to read, and I thought I might I might be interested in, as a reader in a story like oh, that. Oh, I was certainly. It, and, it, when, you know. when, when the places and the, the, the people and the things are so perfectly layered and as metaphor, mm -hmm. and it, 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 there is a narrative. And it's yeah. it's just you have to you have to look for and at it be a bit like your mother be a bit of an investigator in oh, that way. Like that. And you also um, very much like I'm not that type of writer where I have it all worked out. It's really like following along and expounding on ideas and listening to the but different it's voices that are coming. To yes, me. and then finding a way to make it work for the reader. So there are base. It's basically two two different parts. First part is um, looking for. I, I kind of think of it as heat. Mm. You're looking for heat. Like, what is the thing I really want to follow? What's the thing I want to say? And then it can be, you know, a long time between expressing that on the page, which can look pretty awful, like sort of all over the place, to to finding how to get that across to the reader. Um, and um, it was it was multi pronged in this case because I had these different time frames. I had the '60s in my childhood. I had the period in the early '70s around my mother's death. I had the books that were written, including my father's book, The Snow Leopard, um, which figured into yes. the narrative. But that just you know, I sort of stumbled upon that and right. realized that my mother's book, Anna Keen, was a his book, The Snow Leopard, was a lot like her book. And then along came my book. And the pieces, it was wonderful. I mean, this to me is one of the great things about writing and in a family, like having the stories told, yeah. is looking at the ways they sort of interlock later. It can be satisfying, very satisfying. Um, that said, I will 
also add that this was a painful book. I, I, I imagine. Extremely painful. Um, I don't think I'll ever write a book as as difficult and because I had to really encounter a lot of stuff that I had just put off to the side in order to get on with my life. Y- yes, and and can do you mind talking about that because uh, this must have been just uh, how how did you do it? You know what what well, I grew, what gave I grew you up with people toiling away in their studios writing and grappling with their own narratives and then grappling yeah because uh, philosophical conundrums i guess because it's it's really like because it was it's a book about a a reconnection with your mother very much so so in in many ways i imagine reading anna keen Mm -hmm. going there Mm -hmm. and uh, and just conjuring her yeah must have helped to be a guide in that way can you talk yeah. a, a bit about because this is this is very much like I mean your mother is so alive and we see her yeah and yeah. see her very very clearly because yeah. you know uh, you were you were raised to understand yourself as being connected to her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you know uh, once you open the door mm-hmm. I mean it's very vivid yeah, well, that was that was the uh, painful part because I had to kind of live through, uh, you know, the sort of intense relationship and the way that we were close, and many people said too close, and, and they were right. Um, but then also her death was uh, extremely difficult to write, and, and I had a first draft or second draft, I don't know which draft, but I had an editor look at it, and she said, you know, everybody's going to want to know the details around that. And it's a chapter I never really wanted to write. Mm-hmm. But I, I had to write it. And um, and I'm glad I wrote it. Uh, but it was it was very, very, uh, you know, some people, when some writers, you know, just sit there blubbering when they're writing. And that was certainly, for me, uh, something that I experienced a lot. Um, but I think also you get a lot of worth artistically out of that. If you're putting your heart down on the page and you're just saying it exactly like it was, that is, it can be very profound. That's good writing. So, you know, like if you're going to hold everything back, you might not really get anything that's all that interesting. No, and, and, and the reader can tell. And, uh, you... And you learn to distrust your narrator if you're not seeing right, uh, right. people as people, yeah. people as the the complicated yeah. uh, entities mm-hmm. that they are. Yeah, exactly. So true. This yeah. is a book that you will see. You see people. So <laughs> it drops in five days? Yes, five days. Um, it's available at my publisher, uh, which is Lata, L-A-T-A-H, books. Um, they're in Spokane, Washington. Took me a long time to find them. And um, I'm so grateful to them for uh, taking me on. Um, and I would only ask to go direct to them if you can. There's a link on my website. 
um, which is just roommatheson.com, and you'll find a link to, to buy the book direct from them, and eventually it'll be available everywhere, bookstores, Amazon, all that kind of thing. I'm glad that they're doing that, though. Yeah. To You know, at first. Yes. And then um, eventually, you know, I always ask, I always say, Ask well. I guess you could do so immediately because then they can just go to Lata. Mm-hmm. Uh, ask your local bookseller. Yes, yes. If they don't have it on the shelf, they'll mm-hmm. be able to yeah. uh, order a copy order right mm-hmm. of Castles <laughs> to Ruins. What have What didn't we touch on that you want to make sure that people know about Castles to Ruins? Um, it's castles and ruins. and ruins. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Um, hmm. I think we think we covered a lot. Um, I think it's really a pastiche, and there are it's it's really uh, people tell me who've read this book that it's operating on a lot of different levels. Yes. So I think maybe I would say to potential readers, there's a lot to learn here um, in terms of Ireland. If you love Ireland, it's a travel book. Um, I think it might be a useful book to people who have had a profound loss at a young age. Yes. Um, and then also it might be interesting to people who who don't really understand the way, who are not in the creative world, not in the artistic world, to understand the way people like that work right. um, and, and how intense that can be and the stories that are there and also the humor. Um, and, uh, as well so, as Buddhism, what's that? As well as Buddhism. Oh, and, oh God, of course. Yes. Buddhism. My husband is a Zen Buddhist. Um, and I met him actually at my father's Zendo in Sagaponic. But, um, no, what am I saying? No. People always thought that I met him there, but I did not. I met him at a music party in Sagaponic where he was playing bass. But then, of course, he was a student of my father's, and people always thought it happened that way, which it did not. But he is a Zen Buddhist. My mother was a Zen Buddhist, and my father was um, all the way through. And um, so also there's quite a lot about uh, LSD and psychedelics and the way my parents used those um, drugs and in a very sort of concentrated, controlled way to sort of understand more about themselves and to help with their problems and to almost to save the world, really. I mean, they were on a, such a mission. Understanding the world and, and saving the world, but also understanding, at, for, at least for your mother in particular, understanding herself. And, yes, and she ex- was very much acceptance, on a acceptance of the self. Yes, which yes. is something that she very much struggled with. Well, she and then it was a, for many people of the era, there was a natural continuum from LSD or you know different psychotropic drugs to Zen Buddhism. There was a real link there. My father always said, um, "You can take LSD pretty far, but then you're going to come to the end of it." And when you come to the end of it, there's that, um, there's Buddhism. And, right. and that was, for both of them, that was the, the trajectory they were on. And I've done my fair share of LSD back in the day. And um, 
And then I do. I, I don't, well, I'm a Buddhist person that doesn't really practice that much, um, but I am Buddhist to my core, I think. And But I just sort of have my Zen practice when I swim or right. walk or cook or just whatever I'm doing in my life. If I can manage to do it wholeheartedly, I feel it's very sort of a Zen practice. It's a beautiful, so. it's really a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. I, I very much enjoyed, and I, I felt uh, simpatico with you and, and the uh, the way your mind works mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. way that uh, you approach many things. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit more tempered in, and in the, you know, uh, because it is be- it's so beautiful to see Peter, to see Deborah, mm-hmm. to see um, very, very, but, but, but I'm I've always been a bit more Aristotelian, where it, you know everything in moderation, mm-hmm. and uh, trying to trying to stay away from those excess. Yes, <laughs> well, like those parts of uh, because I could I could see when I get there. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is no, not good for me. Yeah, and yeah. I also I loved. I know what you mean. Castles and ruins, or Steve's quest for good coffee. <laughs> or or espresso. It's all the same in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So which I forget. He finally found a great yeah cup. Tralee at a, at a heart hotel. I think it was in Tralee, and we walked in, and there was uh, an espresso maker the size of a car. Yes. like a whole you know cap, the whole thing. <laughs> and Steve was like, Hallelujah! Because this having, was back was in two thousand six. Also, oh, um, that's when so, you guys went. That's when we were there, yeah, when my son was uh, six years old. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, I was on Canadian Irish radio last week, and he's like, I I just don't understand this thing about the coffee. The coffee is very good in Ireland. And I said, yes, but it wasn't then. It was kind of, they hadn't really got onto the whole coffee train. So interesting. Yeah. And um, so... The tea wasn't very good either, and and I was surprised about that. So it kind of became an, uh, part of the quest was to find poor Steve a a serious cup of coffee, and he was grumpy for quite a Something, lot of the time because he couldn't find one. I think my favorite part was the travelers. Oh, the travelers! Can you talk yeah. about? Oh, we're gonna. Oh, we we're out of time. We'll be back in just a minute. <laughs> With Long Island local news on Thursday, February 15th, 2024, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. More than half of Long Island renters pay at least 30% of their income toward housing, which the federal government considers as cost burdened, according to a new report from the New York State Comptroller. Long Island has the greatest share of cost burdened renters of any part of the state, but renting is also less common locally than in any other region. The Comptroller recommended the state seek greater federal support and spur local government action to increase the supply of housing. Jonathan LaMancha reporting on Newsday.com that about 3,500 Long Islanders were homeless last year, according to data from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. That represents a 12 percent increase compared with 2010, which is roughly in line with the state as a whole. In New York City, the homeless population increased 66 percent since 2010 to about 88,000 
people last year, according to HUD. The statistics weren't a surprise to local housing observers. Quote, it's very well expected. We have a lot of employees who live here on Long Island, and many of them struggle to afford rents. That's Ralph Fasano, executive director of Concern Housing, an affordable housing developer based in Medford, who added the affordable housing we do provide is very much in demand. Rents have been going up steadily over the years. So much of the rental housing is unaffordable to people. And quote, housing help executive director Moya Monsera said her nonprofit organization in Greenlawn, Long Island, hears from about 2,000 people a year who are looking for housing that will be affordable for them, and almost all of those clients would be categorized as rent burdened. The nonprofit's clients sometimes prioritize rent over food because they worry about finding another apartment. She has supported proposals to increase the supply of housing on the island, noting the need for affordable housing to attract teachers, health aides, and employees. For businesses, quote, if we don't solve our housing problem, I don't know how sustainable Long Island will be, end quote. Add to that, health workers, uh, first responders, uh, just about anyone you can uh, want or need, including those in service, uh, we all know. That's what we're dealing with out here uh, on Long Island. In other news, the town of Southampton is seeking public input following a recent design study presentation before the town board by the firm Historical Concepts focused on the downtown business district in Hampton Bays. Tom Gagola reporting on 27East.com that the survey kicked off on February 12th and runs through February 29th and follows a slew of meetings held in January between town officials and historical concepts and various Hampton Bays organizations, including the Hampton Bays Civic Association, Chamber of Commerce, and Citizens Advisory Committee. Residents are encouraged to take the Hampton Bays Conceptual Design Survey. You can find it online at southhamptontownny.gov. And finally... After the Shinnecock Nation last week began clearing 10 acres of uh, their land on the West Woods property in Hampton Bays off the northern side of Sunrise as the first step in construction of a gas station and travel plaza, questions continue to swirl about the details of the economic development project and the degree of involvement it will entail from both the state and the town of Southampton. Kaylin Riley reporting on 27East.com that a primary curiosity is whether the nation will seek to create entrances and exits from Sunrise Highway to the gas station, which Tribal Council Chair Brian Polite said has a tentative opening date of spring 2025. Earlier this week, Polite said the nation definitely wants to create access to the gas station from the highway, but the tribe will not forge ahead with construction on those access points without cooperation from the state DOT. So far, he said there's been little or no dialogue between the nation and the Department of Transportation, but not for lack of trying on the nation's end. Quote, it's been almost a year of getting support to ask the DOT to work with us on an off-ramp. We hired an engineering firm 
that's worked with the DOT and knows the ins and outs of that. And we've presented five different options, including a Passover, but it's fallen on deaf ears. Stephen Canzaneri is the public information officer for the Long Island region of the state DOT. He told 27East.com earlier this week that due to the agency's existing litigation with the nation, we have no comment. The litigation he's referring to is a suit the DOT brought against the tribe when it constructed the pair of 62-foot-tall electronic, um, they call it something, totems? I forget what they refer to it as, um, on tribal land on each side of Sunrise Highway, another economic uh, development project that has brought revenue to the nation. I don't think it is totems. It's, it's another term that is escaping me now, but I'll look it up. Uh, reading the weather in uh, the Shinnecock Nation and Shinnecock Territory, mostly sunny today with a high near 38 degrees. Wind chill values between 25 and 30 degrees. Northwest wind 9 to 14 miles per hour becoming southwest in the afternoon tonight. Scattered snow showers before 10 p.m., then scattered rain showers between 10 p.m. and 1. Uh, but it's going to be very cold, so definitely be careful. Cl- cloudy and gradually clearing toward daybreak. The temperature will rise to around 39 by midnight, so that's good news. But definitely be careful out there. Breezy with the southwest wind, 7 to 12 miles per hour, becoming West 15 to 20 miles per hour after midnight gusting as high as 37 miles per hour. I'll I'll confirm the term that's escaping me for what the nation refers to uh, those um, uh, billboards, uh, for lack of a better term, at the moment. Uh, But first, and before we get back to the music, I want to bring back Rue Matheson because we haven't finished... Talking about castles and ruins. <laughs> I want to get into the travelers mm-hmm. and talk about these people and the part of the book uh, where you might have come across some of them. Yes, we came across what looked like a traveler camp. I I never was able to know exactly what it was, but it was on a bluff and... Um, I'd say maybe 30 trailers and looking out over the sea on Dingle Peninsula. And um, it looked empty. And then we went inside and we found this pack of kids playing and there were no parents. There was nobody in these trailers. It was just these kids. And no one was older than, I'd say, nine. And um, our son got into the game with them and it was... Just wonderful, but I don't, in all honesty, I'm not sure whether it was a traveler camp or just a vacation place for for people who kept these trailers on the bluff, but, um, but still it reminded the, the... me of the, of the part of my mother's book and also reminded me of, because it was so free form and these kids were unsupervised and having a great time, and it reminded me of the longing that I had back in 1965 in Ireland to join a traveler camp because they were called tinkers then. And um, we'd see them by the side of the road and they were just like, I put in the book, 
basically, it was like looking into a diorama because these people lived entirely separately. From Unencumbered by just, society. Yeah, and they, they uh, <clears throat> were horse traders. They were tinsmiths. And back in 1965, they were quite, there were quite a number of traveler camps around, and of course they'd move. But when I'd see them as a kid, I just was like, this looks so great, you know, these scruffy horses around, and they get to be outside all day, and they don't have to go to school, and they don't have to brush their teeth, and just looked to me like absolute heaven. And, it, and, and it's funny because, they, I mean, that's very much of Peter and Deborah's heart. Yeah. You know, uh, you, we were talking uh, between the the breaks about something that, for, for me, uh, in my childhood, that I was very grateful for mm-hmm. having been very unsupervised. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I was allowed... To develop mm-hmm. into, you know, unencumbered, yeah, uh, into whatever person that I wanted to become, and that's a gift. You know, it's funny because uh, compared to the way things are kind of really just sort of overseen in the present day, I think a little neglect is a good thing. I mean, I think I benefited from from just that everyone was so involved in their own I lives. Absolutely I absolutely did I just, as well. I played alone a lot, and I grew up in Sagaponic, and I had a big imaginary life, and I had a few friends around. Um, I'd go over to Sag Harbor all the time to this house, the, the Sherry family. They were this house of creatives. The father was a playwright, and they were wonderful, three three girls who became kind of like my sisters. Um, but we just really played. That's a us. nice anchor. Yeah, and it was. It was It was really great to have Because them. I will say, you know, there's the, there are different, when I look back also, I think, golly, mm-hmm. how differently this story could have turned out. Yeah. You know, yeah. the story of growing up and, and how, gee, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you get grateful for the head on your own shoulders because you think... I mean, self-reliance was definitely the coin of the realm. I mean, to, and that's why I went off to boarding school when I was 12. I went to England, boarding school. Because, uh, that yeah, you chose? That I chose, yes. I uh, The Wiseman family, who are also good friends, they lived at the end of... Uh, the other end of Bridge Lane. We lived on one end and they lived on the other and uh, they had a daughter named Sarah Wiseman, who was about 16, and I had kind of a crush on her, you know. I was, what, 12 or something, and she was so great and everything. And she was going to this school called Cobham Hall in Kent, in England, and I, I liked her English accent. She had a little bit of an English accent, and I was like, I wanna go there. And so that, I got the phone number from her, and that night, my parents were out late, and I stayed up late, and I called the school, and I said, um, you know, hi, my name is Rue. I would like to come to your school. And they said, and I swear this is what they said, they said, can you pay? And I said, yes, I think that they can probably pay. And they said, you're in. Amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Was, I guess they wanted Americans, or they... I don't know what it was, but anyway. So they probably just loved 
I mean, who, yeah. what other kid is calling up and saying, I want to go to your school? Yeah, yeah. That you were probably the one. Yeah, it was certainly easier to get into boarding school in those days, I will say. Um, and then my parents thought about it for about 24 hours. And then this was part of the culture of the day, which is if we can support doing what she wants to do, then we'll will support it. Right. But they didn't even think of those terms. It was more it's like, like when your mom, okay? it's like when your mom bought you the, the dress that she wasn't necessarily a fan of. Right. That you didn't think she would buy for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, you know, this is what she wants. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. what's, what's yeah. the, what's the harm? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind of, kind of like that. But and... the timing was tough. So had she got how'd yeah. she gotten her diagnosis yet? Yeah, yes, she had, and I didn't know that. But you didn't no know. No one told me. You've got to see the professor, by the way. Okay. Johnny Depp. It's oh, okay. uh, uh, I just watched it recently. Very funny script, devastating. Oh really? But it's about a a professor who receives his diagnosis mm -hmm. and his prognosis. Mm -hmm. He has six months, mm -hmm. and he has a, a daughter and a wife and a complicated relationships mm -hmm. but uh i think that maybe you will okay you will very much it. enjoy I that one um but so when did you find when did you when did you find out things just kind of progressed uh i was in that school in england for one year then i was then you went to upstate new york then i went to upstate new york to a school called north country school and um Things were, were happening, you know, when I was home uh, in the summer and when I was home on the winter break. But I never really knew, because this is a child's defense system, if there's something you don't want to know, you just don't know it. Right. And I did not, until my father called me when I was up at North Country School, and my mother would, would be really gone in about two weeks and he called me, and he just called me at the school, which he hardly ever did, and said, uh, um, you know, she's really very sick. And I remember, and I wrote this all in the book. Yeah, exactly I remember. I, I remember this and everything. And, I mean, this and then part. I, he was basically forcing me to ask the question about right. could she die. And I did ask him that question, and he said yes. And at that point, they knew it was she was going to die. Um, and I was extremely upset course and right. um felt very far away uh and then um i found out were you angry were you angry that you hadn't you hadn't known and that you that no, you went no, away no no I, I wasn't angry i was uh you weren't there yet i think i was just overwhelmed with with uh i think i was just overwhelmed with just the idea Right, and then um, well, and especially because, as you mentioned, you 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 had a defense mechanism where if you didn't want to deal with it, which Peter displays quite a, a bit, mm -hmm. does does not. If you you're yeah. not ready, you know, I think that it was again this sort of different time excuse for why they did not have me down from school and at the hospital, like. Oh, I don't think say, I don't know if there's a. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't moralize like whatever. No, I'm I just wondering. Not. I'm just wondering if like, you know, uh, because it's it's got to feel so helpful, helpless. Yeah. And then you know, the the grieving process or the process of 
of dealing with these things. I know that anger is one of those emotions. So, you know, who knows what you were feeling. I think the the anger came later, Mm. but not... um, I think it was more just, um, you know, part of me really, and I do write about this, was, you know, going, I just went numb. Right. Um, and I kept putting it, putting it off to the side, putting it out of my mind, going off into my life. And then um, I found out I was still up at the school because my, my aunt and my my father was angry at her for having done this, but she was just trying to do the right thing. You know, she wrote me a note and said, we will all be missing your mother very much. And that was how I found out. Oh, boy. So I, you know, I probably should have been down at the hospital and, and with them. She had, of course, him. She had her her brother, Kenny Love, um, and another very good friend who recently died named Moret Galassi. And uh, all Moret's three, in the book quite Moret's a bit. Moret's in the book, yes. Yeah. And um, Moret uh, was... One of my mother's closest confidants, they were both very involved in Zen Buddhism. And <clears throat> and uh, she she and my father and my uncle spent a lot of time, you know, they sort of took shifts at the hospital. Uh, I mean, overall, I would say it was probably be better if, if I had been brought into the fold, but... They just, they just didn't, and they were overwhelmed themselves. Everyone does. Do. Everyone makes the decisions you know, they make, and, yeah. you know, you never know what's going to be. And they do what the... they, you know, I kind of had to look back on things and just say, for, in terms of them, they they did what they could. They yes. did the best they could. And that's, always, that's, yeah. that's the big yeah. universal message when it comes to uh, childhood trauma in particular, yeah. parents, and yeah. even, you know— uh, parents are people, right? Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. they're doing. I mean, it's not to trivialize anyone, yeah. and or or you know. And there are many, mm-hmm. there are many different uh, mm-hmm. situations and yeah. and types of trauma and whatnot. Um, I did want to touch though on something that was that was so beautiful in the in the narrative. Sort of, uh, you talk about the book not being um, uh, typical in mm-hmm. the, you know, uh, like a, like a cinematic arc or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But it was so beautiful <clears throat> seeing your your mother in the time uh, that she was going through through cancer and mm-hmm. and and dying. Mm-hmm. that she was granted this like rom- this idea of mm-hmm. of rom- this this thing that she had been chasing yeah for so long yeah with your father yeah and and that she you know finally got it got that well they were incredibly close um and he was truly amazing and so attentive and steady and wonderful of course that made me angry because i was i he i i'd said i thought why can't why couldn't you have been that way you know all throughout because when you're 13 14 years old you're kind of like well or alex right why did it take that for you to become this super super partner super husband 
Um, <clears throat> but of course, when you're 14, you don't understand. You don't understand oh. Peter. You don't understand <laughs> yeah. Peter Matheson or Deborah Love yeah. and themselves as these uh, artistic beings as and well. And you don't even understand them as they're not even separate from you. Right. You don't really. I think that's really the process of growing up is when you do see your parents as people. Right. And that they were just struggling along with what they were struggling along with. Right. Um, but, you know, it does help to write a book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I didn't get it. Basically, just it was very satisfying for me to just set, set it down. And I'm delighted that um, it's coming across to you so oh, yes. well because I can he- I can hear that. You really, yeah, it was really. Oh, I think, and I think it yeah. will to anyone who reads it. You, yeah. you know, we'll we'll have to see. <laughs> it's coming out in five days, guys. All right, so uh, thank you, Rue, for joining thank us you. this morning. This has been wonderful, and it's great to meet you. Finally, <laughs> likewise, sister from another Mister, <laughs> Rue Matheson. The book is Castles and Ruins. It comes out in five days. Lata Publishing. What's the website? What's the, what's the exact URL? I'll, you know what? I'll Google it. I've got a computer right here. And also, you'll you'll find the link on my on oh, my just, page. Just go if to you Rue go Matheson. to roomathson.com on my whatever my page with the picture on it. There's a, there we go. There's a link to Lata Books. All right, perfect. So R U E M A T T H I E S S en.com for more about castles and ruins. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Rue Matheson. This is Donna Vivino and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM, the Heart Morning and Midnight Show, recorded live from the heart of the East End, the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, powered by your donations to WLIWFM. .org.
castle Screw the princess and the peasants And my servants and the shadows And my pillow and my throne And my blood and my tomes And the doors that I have locked So that they just leave me alone I digress Maybe they don't think I'm the king of this mess Maybe I'm just in a room And this is all in my head Maybe it's just cause the shrooms But I've been plotting on your time again My mileage with numbers past my age I failed my driver's test Oh hi again I guess I'm really bad at introductions Name is Ben and you're in luck Cause I'm a different kind of function An individual Someone took me to the dock It took some time And who I'm trusting Someone lies into my brain How I depend on every substance Maybe I'm not a fit Guess this crown that I imagined Was for someone else's kid With the wit that I've been withholding And the spit that I've been letting go I only find my peace within my mind And on a metronome The seconds go Tick and talk again I've been stuck on talk again Stuck inside my castle, cave away the walls I'm shackled to. I built this castle, now we are trapped on the throne. I'm sorry, we're You'll be coming out of mommy's stomach soon I better do something quick if I'ma be able to support you I can barely support me But as long as you're healthy That's all that matters for the time being But obviously, assuming you will be Just thinking ahead I'ma make it if it kills me Let's see how far I can take it with this music I'm getting sick of chasing this illusion Sorry for sloppy writing The pen in my hand is shaking Please excuse me, dad's a little nervous But at the same time excited If I use the same energy while I'm saying rhymes and writing with the same passion and the same exact enthusiasm as I'm using in this letter Maybe they can feel me as I'm trying to build these castles out of sand, baby girl For you to sit on the throne, I got plans, baby girl Welcome to mom and dad's crazy world Love daddy, maple flavor kisses, buttered pancakes and syrup Look. They're talking bad about dad, it's ticking me off too Makes me feel like I don't belong or something Ooh, I think I might have just stumbled onto something new Got a prediction for the future, I'm hoping that you Open this envelope when you're older and it holds true
Dear Haley. Now if you found these letters, I guess I better try to explain A lot's happened in between them since I rise to this fame I said your name, but always tried to hide your face This game is crazy, I wanted to claim my love for you But dang, I never knew it'd be like this If I did, I wouldn't have done it You ain't asked for none of this shit Now you're being punished Things that should have been private with me and your mother is public I can't stomach, they can take this fame back, I don't want it I put out this last album, then I'm done with it 100% finished, fed up with it, I'm hanging it up Excuse the cursing, baby, but just know that I'm a good person Though they portray me as cold, and if things should worsen Don't take this letter I wrote, it's a goodbye note But your dad's at the end of this road I'm sliding down a slippery slope Anyway, sweetie, I better go, I'm getting sleepy Love, Dad, I don't know I don't, That might be the first Eminem track I've played here on the station from uh, his 2017 record, Revival Castle. How about a little Halsey? Right here on WLIWFM. Old man said 
on the floor, medicine I should probably keep my pretty mouth shut History for the castle Till we hold it to the light like a counterfeit bill 
and hide out in a castle David Falkowski of Open Minded Organics walked by the studio. The morning and the night. Canyon City after Halsey. I forgot to mention we heard from Love Sad Kid a little earlier with Lofi with a castle single. Uh, I'm going to hop over two ruins in honor of castles and ruins. Uh, This is Castle to Ruin, and it's the reason why I flubbed the title earlier. It's from a band called Pastis, which I think is a word that Rue used. It's from the My Own Form EP of 2018, um, 15 minutes before the top of the hour. And just shy of that will be the end of our program. Uh, Very grateful to all of you out there tuning in and supporting us here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. I'm hopping past quite a few tracks, so you'll find a lot of secret tracks if you look for the playlist on today's archived episode, which will be uploaded to the same place that you can stream us, WLIWFM.org. And support us. Now we show us some love. Every day is pitch day.
All right, we went long with Rue today. So sorry, not sorry. I really loved our time with Rue Matheson here in the WLIWFM studio. Uh, so I've got time for three more. I'll play First Aid Kit, Cat Stevens, and Gordon Lightfoot to lead you into the NPR news break. Lots of secret tracks on today's playlist, so don't forget to check it out. I'm Jenna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM, news you can trust, music you love, on 88.3 FM throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County, streaming online to wherever you may be at WLIW.org slash radio. Today, I climbed the highest mountain I have ever climbed And I turned to look at ruins I had left behind And you, where were you so far removed from any truth? I lost you, didn't I? First I think I lost Same as everyone, but you were wrong. And it hurt you, didn't it? All you could be.
You're listening to WLIWFM, NPR Radio. Through the old town Stones crumbling under my feet I see smoke for miles around Oh, it's enough to make you weep All that remains of the main street Up in the park on Sunday Dogs chasing and children played An old man with his head down can't see nothing more around No, no But he remembers how it used to be Back in the old days So nice to see you coming back in this town again Nice to see a friendly face come beeping through Haven't you in the afternoon now So nice to see you coming back in this town changed winter turned on a man came down one day when no one was looking and it stole away the land people running scared losing hands dodging shadows of falling sand building standard like empty shells and nobody helping no one else young child with his hands Ain't able to see no reason why No But he remembers how it used to be So nice to see you coming back in this town again It's nice to see a friendly face come beeping through I want that 
Back to the time when the earth was green and there was no high walls and the sea was clean. Don't stop that sun to shine. It's not yours or mine. No.